Welcome to church. Good to have you here. Uh, special guests, I want to welcome the Ewan family. Uh, you've got Sammy's parents and Johnny. Do you guys want to stand up for a second? Would you honor these folks and show your appreciation for these folks? Stand up for a second, Johnny. Would you ever guess that this is Sammy's brother? Look at that. He even sounds like, see that? But he's got wisdom with the beard. And, uh, Sammy's folks are amazing. They have, over the years, have led churches. They're involved with missionary organizations, have a big difference in precious people's lives in India. And they've given their lives for the cause of Jesus. And uh, Sammy's brother, Johnny, serves young people. And I reckon that's incredibly important to God. And he makes a big difference with youth ministry and with church in Ireland and in various other places. We honor you folks. It's great to have you here, as we do. We honor Sammy as well. Bless you guys. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy, and he, he was confused about which girl to marry because he really liked two. He wasn't at Destiny Church. <laughs> Let me add that. And uh, so he went to a marriage counselor and, and asked advice. He said, listen, I, I really, really like two girls, and I just don't know what one to propose to. And, uh, well, the counselor said, well, just tell me about them, and I'll, I'll, see what, I'll give you some suggestions. And he said, okay, uh, one of them is a very good poet and I love her poetry. And the other one cooks me the best pancakes ever. And he said, ah, I see what your problem is. You can't decide whether to marry for bata or for verse. <laughs> now, we all like the idea. This is the link. This is the link. We all like the idea of being loved for better or for worse. We love the idea that someone would be so committed to us that in sickness and in health, uh, in good times and bad times, for better and for worse, with you. Congratulations on getting married, guys. Danny and Megan, hey. Woo. Now, that's not a Scottish tan. <laughs> Good to see you. For better or for worse. I mean, the idea of being, someone being that committed to us, that through everything they'd be there. A greater idea even than that is the idea that maybe God would be so dedicated to human beings. They'd be so utterly sacrificially laying his life down, God, to be in a dedicated relationship with us. And that's what these verses we're studying today are all about. Genesis 15, God enters into an incredible committed relationship with Abraham. Genesis 15 verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield." Your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate, Eliza of Damascus, is Eliza of Damascus. Abraham said, You have not given me a, ch a child. So a servant in my household will be the heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. In those parts of the world, you understand, there wasn't much light pollution. Uh, there weren't any street lights. And the vast expanse of heaven, you'd have seen multiple more stars than you could ever imagine. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. We looked at that last week. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to make possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign lords, how can I know? Say, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? So Abraham's afraid. Chapter 4, chapter 14, we looked at that a few weeks ago as well. Chapter 14, Abraham took on four, or sorry, five kings who had, who had taken captive his nephew Lot. He took them on. He fought them and defeated all these kings and their armies. So maybe he was, when it says he was afraid, 
And God turns up and said, don't be afraid. Maybe it's because he was, understandably, I mean, he'd just taken on several kings <laughs> with 300 men. So you might be thinking, maybe they're going to come back and get me. Maybe there's retribution. But in response to that fear, God says, I am your shield. Great vivid picture, isn't it? God being your shield, got your back covered. He's going to guard you. And then Abraham, in that chapter before, you know, he didn't take any of the plunder from that great military campaign. He didn't take any of it. In fact, he gave 10% of it to a guy called Melchizedek, right? He gave away. He didn't keep any. Incredible. Because if you look in the chapter four, he was really confident. God will provide for me. And he had God's in response that he promises, I am your shield, but also I am your very great reward, he says. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to provide for you. Abraham then goes and says, well, I haven't got an heir. I mean, what can you give me? Because I don't have a son who will become my heir. And then God promises him, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then he goes on further and takes him outside and shows him the stars in the sky and says, if you can count that, that's how many your offspring are going to be. And by the way, anytime you see that number, you look up in the sky and see the stars or look in the sand and count the, count the grains, think there's going to be a multitude. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I reckon there is already a multitude who are saved. They know God. But there's also yet to be a multitude who yet, as yet, God's counted them, but as yet, they don't know him. A multitude that you cannot count who will know God, multitudes who already do know God, but multitudes yet to know him in this city, in this world. We've got a purpose. We are here for a purpose, church. But then Abraham had no homeland. And in response to the desire for a homeland and an inheritance, God promises, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So he's given him promise of a child. He's given him promise of protection. He's given him promise of provision. He's given him promise of inheritance, of a land. He's given him all these promises. He's given him pro- promises of a legacy. And in response, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. The only way you get righteous is not by behaving yourself. You're all too far gone. Me too. You're sinners. Me too. We have no chance of being righteous by our own efforts in the sight of God. We're declared righteous by our faith in Jesus. That's incredible. Same with Abraham here. That's the only way it's ever been. Abraham believes God. That's his first response. But then the second response was, how shall I know? Right? So it's a bit of a mixture of stuff. It's a bit of a mixture of faith, but there's an element of, I want to be sure. I don't think it was ultimate doubting God. Maybe it was doubting himself. I don't know, but he did believe God. I guess it might be like uh, a guy saying to a girl, oh, I promise I'm going to love you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to cover your back all your days. And she says, honey, she probably believes him, but how shall I be sure? Now, if he's wise, he'll get down on one knee right then and he'll propose to her. He'll put a bit of stone on her finger and he will make a, a covenant to her called marriage. All right? That's the honorable thing to do. That's It's covenant that makes the idea, the, the great concept, a reality. How shall I know? Get down on your knee and you propose so she really knows. Not just that she feels it and the emotions are all there, but now she knows. And that's almost exactly what God does next. Uh, and it's stunning. God's answer to Abraham is absolutely stunning. Verse 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, uh, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. So, So, in response to that question, how shall I know? God says, go get some animals. And so he goes and brings these animals. And then it says that Abraham brought them in with no further instruction from God. Abraham cut them in two. 
It's like a Damien Hirst. You know, you'd be in the gallery of art, the Damien Hirst exhibits. Anyway, if you haven't, don't go. Right. So, anyway, uh, but so Damien Hirst, he, he does this, uh, Abraham, sorry, does this thing with the animals. And, but why, Abraham, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Because Abraham knew exactly where God was going with this. God didn't need to tell him to do that. Abraham was very familiar with something that was about to happen. God said, go get some animals. He just said, I want to know for sure. And God said, okay, get some animals. Abraham said, I know exactly what you're going to do, God. So he got these animals and he, he split them in two. And it was the beginning of a covenant. Say covenant. In Abraham's day, covenants were common. Now, Covenants in that same way are not so common these days. You probably haven't done that recently, like with the animals and your mates, just to make sure they knew that you were serious, you know? (laughs) Okay, we get you. We know you're serious now. Okay, maybe we want to do that. Yeah, you could try it. But, you know, we're living in a a society that's a a written society. That's how we make sure people know what we're talking about. So, So if you get a builder to do some work for you, I want to build a house, here's the drawing. And he says, okay, that'll be 150 grand. And you say, deal. So he goes away and he builds a house. And after he builds a house, he comes back and says, that'll be 300 grand, please. He said, no, no, you said 150 grand. I don't care what I said. I want 300 grand. Because we know, you know a gentleman's agreement isn't enough these days. What you should have said is, oh, great contractor, here are the drawings. Will you give me this building for 150,000? And he'll say, yes, I shall. And you say, but how can I be sure? And he'll say, I know. I'll sign a piece of paper called a contract. Now, if he doesn't do it for the price he said, you can nail the sucker, right? You can take it to court, okay? So that, that's the culture we're living in. But that wasn't the culture then. It was covenant. And again, maybe you want to try this. Next time you get a building and the builder comes along and says, right, listen, mate, just so I know you're going to do it for this, let's get, bring your cat and a couple of pigeons and just walk with me through this. Right, see if you don't do it for that price. See what happened to these animals. Right, okay, that's, that's exactly what was going on. It's incredible. That was how they did deals in those days. They were hardcore. Covenant was a legal means by which two people who had previously not been close suddenly became close. Covenant would happen when two parties, by making an incredible agreement with each other, would take animals, they would cut them through the middle, lay them either side, and the two parties who were entering into covenant with each other would walk through the cut-in-pieces animals, and they would, in doing that, would say, in fact, they might even actually physically say, if we do not fulfill the terms of this union that we are kicking off here, may it be to us just as it is to those animals. In other words, this covenant instigated by bloods is breakable only by our own death. That's a strong agreement. It goes beyond any contract you and I have ever understood. And it's, once the contract's in place, it is there, not just for that generation, but for generations. That's covenant. That's, that's what's, and here God uses the weightiness of agreement that Abraham was used to here because he wants him to understand this is exactly how I'm going to interact with you, Abraham. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 34, verse 18 and 19, just to let you understand how serious God views covenant. Jeremiah 34, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant, they will make, they, they may before me, I will treat them like the calf that they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf. God's saying, listen, if you don't honor the covenant, it's, you know what, it's, you're going to be treated like the animals. Equally, conversely, God would maybe say the same about himself if he didn't honor the terms of covenant. Another example of covenant and showing the strength of covenant in the Old Testament is in the book of Joshua, when Joshua and the Israelites were conquering the lands, they came across a people called the Gibeonites. Now, they didn't know this at the time, but the Gibeonites were actually right in the lands. But the Gibeonites kind of came undisguised, and they, through trickery, formed a covenant 
with Joshua for their own protection. And I don't blame them, to be honest. They didn't want Joshua and the army to wipe them out. So they formed a covenant with Joshua. Joshua entered into a covenant, and that's recorded in Joshua chapter 9. In Joshua chapter 10, we find that there were five kings who also lived in that territory turned against Gibeon. Now, because Joshua had entered into a covenant with the Gibeonites, when those kings came to attack Gibeon, their problem was now his problem. You see, when you become in covenant with someone, if you have a if they have a need and you have the means by which to meet the need, you are covenantally obliged. You have covenantally obliged yourself to meet their needs till death do us part. If if they have an enemy and they're being attacked, their enemy becomes your enemy till death do us part. That's how strong this covenant is. So Joshua and the armies of Israel went and defended Gibeon because they'd entered into a covenant with it. Isn't that incredible? 400 years later, there's a little interesting episode in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. David's on the throne by this point. <coughs> During the reign of King David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord says, it is an account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put Gibeonites to death. So what's going on here? Okay, 400 years after Joshua had entered into a covenant with Gibeon, 400 years later, there's Joshua, sorry, this is David's, and, and there's a famine in the land, and, and David's saying, God, what's going on? Why is there a famine in the land? And God speaks to him, and he says, it's because your predecessor, Saul, he'd killed a pile of Gibeonites. Wait a minute here, folks. This is like 400 years later. Gen- the people who made the covenant were no longer alive, but their offspring were. 400 years later, this covenant in place is forever in place. That's the point. That's what happens with covenants. And so actually, if you read on in those verses, it's kind of gory. They had to get seven of Saul's descendants and they were executed. And then as soon as they were executed, the famine on the land ceased. Weird. But nevertheless, it communicates very forcibly the strength with which God understands this concept of covenant. And the Bible gives us many covenants. We have the covenant at the beginning with God's covenant with Adam. We have God's covenant with Noah. God's covenant here with Abraham. Then with Moses. Then with David's. And then eventually the new covenant. And we'll get to that. Let's go on to the verses. Genesis uh, 15 verses 12 to 16. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. How will I know? The Lord said, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and you will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. So a few things just to comment on this. It's interesting here, the descendants of Abraham, 400 years later, they were going to spend the next a period of 400 years in slavery in Egypt. Now, we know that if, you've read, if you know your Bible, there's a period where Israelites were enslaved and Moses comes and delivers them, takes them out, takes them eventually into a promised land under the hand of Joshua, Moses' uh, person who took on from Moses. Incredible. But here God is saying, okay, this thing, this purpose of God, this destiny, this plan I've got for you, this promise that will be fulfilled is going to involve some suffering. It will be fulfilled. There's going to be suffering in there. There's going to be 400 years your descendants are going to be enslaved. And how many people know that 400 years waiting for a promise to come true is a bit of a long wait? Eventually it came not through Moses but through Joshua. So here's the deal. God is true to his word. And God's plan for your life absolutely will be fulfilled. Sometimes though it's not on your time scale. And sometimes you thought it was going to be an easy ride. It's not. In fact, the rule is it's usually not an easy ride. You're doing God's work. 
usually you're going to face some stuff. Going God's way is not the easy option. The other thing to notice here is that God's purpose being fulfilled in Abraham wasn't some isolated thing that had nothing to do with anything else that God was doing in the entire world. Notice it makes this little comment, you know, 400 years, fourth generation, because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. And you think, wow, there was something else going on. In fact, there was three bazillion other things going on. You know that you fulfilling your purpose fits into a much bigger picture. You know, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, Ammon and Comfort left Destiny Church Edinburgh to start a church in Gombe State, Nigeria, where the terrorists are very active there, and they started a church. And do you know what? That's not just to do with Ammon and Comfort's sense of calling and their little purpose. That's to do with the hundreds of people in Gombe State that God has a purpose for. And they've arrived just in time because of something that's happening there. And us fulfilling our purpose as individuals in your workplaces, in your family. And us fulfilling our purpose as a church. Us doing what we're doing in amongst the other churches of the city. In this city, God's doing other stuff in the city. And we're here at this time in our generation. You have no idea what God has lined up. But it all fits into a bigger picture. Let's go on to the verse, verse 17. When the sun had set, the darkness and darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, between the pieces of the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give you the land from the wadi of Egypt <coughs> to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Perizzites, the Rephatites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites. Oh, that sounds like you've had a bad curry the night before. The, the Jebusites. These, these, these places. And I just, I'm just getting revelation as I'm reading this stuff. Notice it says a smoking fire pot. You've got to be careful what you're saying. We're in Letha, I understand. But like, okay, it's, Get all other references to such things out of your head and just listen to the Bible. Smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Okay, it's the almost exact same Hebrew words used to describe when God descended on Mount Sinai, when the law was given. Remember, the, the, there was fire in the mountain and there was smoke and there was blazing. Same Hebrew words used here. So the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch are emblems of God's presence. And God is saying in this moment, see what he does? He puts Abraham to what? To sleep. He puts Abraham to sleep. He immobilizes Abraham. And God goes through the covenant ritual. In doing this, God is saying about himself that if he, God, broke these promises, may I be cut off. May I be cut up. May I die like these animals have died if I break these promises. May my infiniteness become finite. May my immortality become mortal. May my immutability become mutable because I changed if I break covenant. I mean, how radical is that? Two stunning things to notice here. Number one, Look who goes through the covenant ritual. Stunning thing number one, God went through the covenant ritual. Stunning thing number two, look who didn't go through the covenant ritual. We didn't. Abraham didn't. And that, folks, is a great picture of exactly how God interacts with us in covenant. See, in the ancient history... Archaeology reveals that covenants were commonplace in these days and age. And kings would sometimes, occasionally, enter into covenants with their servants. Now, when that happens, generous kings would sometimes, if they were generous, they would go through this ritual with their servant, if they were very generous. They would go through the ritual of covenant, entering into a covenant with their servant. They'd put the animals 
there, and they walked through the ritual because they were generous. But it was more common than not that the servant would have to go through the ritual themselves because as far as the king was concerned, do you know what, mate? You're getting the better deal out of this than I am. You know, it's not like I need you. You need me. So the servant would take all the covenant obligations upon himself and be at the mercy of a king who had no obligations on him. But here we have a stunning example where not just the king, any king, but the, the king, the king of kings, God himself, without Abraham, goes through the ritual, taking all the obligations of covenant to himself. The success of the covenant is based solely on God, not on a human being. It's an unconditional covenant. God assumes all responsibility. Abraham says, how could I know? And God answers that because it's based on God, not on you, mate. You see, religion says it's about what we do. When we understand God and covenant, we understand it's about what he does, start to finish. And this is the picture and a clear picture of another covenant that's yet to come. Verse 7 says, when darkness had fallen, Abraham had no, no idea that centuries later, another moment would come where darkness would cover the earth. And it says in Matthew twenty-seven forty-five, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the lands as Jesus hung on a cross, shedding his own blood. The evening before he was with the disciples, and it's recorded in Luke twenty-two nineteen, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, took the cling film off the top of it. It's all here, folks. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus took bread and broke it. He took the wine and handed it rounds, and he said, this represents a new covenant. My body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be shed because I'm starting a new covenant. That night he was betrayed. He was arrested. He went through three illegal trials. They whipped him and lacerated his back within an inch of his life. Then they took him to a, a hill called the Place of the Skull, just outside of Jerusalem where the worst of the worst people were crucified. And there, virtually naked in front of the world that he had created, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who had done nothing wrong, and in fact had spent the last three years raising dead people and opening blind eyes and feeding miraculous numbers of people and, and, and seeing great things happen and teaching and transforming the world and rattling the cages of the religious and yet bringing light in a dark world. And he hung and died on a cross. Why? because we're sinners and we needed someone to die for us. Otherwise, we pay the price ourselves. Because God wanted to sh make us know how you can be sure. And God's not just up in heaven, got a wee whim of, yeah, I think I like them. Are you kidding me on? You understand the lengths that God has gone to to communicate how much he wants to be in relationship with you? You understand the, the degree to which God has gone to to say, till death do us part, and that's never going to happen. You understand that God laid his life down and shed his blood to start a new covenant with you and I. About 400 years ago, divers, sorry, recently, divers found a 400-year-old sunken vessel just off the coast of Northern Ireland. It was Sammy's dad was the diver. <laughs> and as they dove, dove down and they found different treasures in this sunken vessel, uh, one of the, the treasures that they found uh, was a ring. And on the inside of the ring, it was, it was a wedding band, a man's wedding band. And on the inside of the ring was an engraving. And it had a, it had a picture of a hand holding a heart 
that was extended out. And besides the engraving of the hand holding the har was the inscription, I have nothing more to give you. Of, of the treasures found in that ship, the diver, to the divers, that, that one was the one that was most precious to them because they were so moved by that inscription. I have nothing more to give you. I think it's a very apt description of exactly what was taking place in the cross. This is God reaching out to humanity saying, there is nothing more I can give you. It is the length to which God was willing to go to. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, remember that when you were at that time separate from Christ, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember those days, folks? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. But by the way, I'm not assuming that you've all had this yet. Maybe today you're still far off from God. Hey, don't live another day like that. Don't, why stay there? Why stay distant from God? Today, wake up. Connect with the Lord. He has done everything necessary to make that possible at very high expense. Balls in your core. And we've been drawn near by the blood of Christ. We're no longer aliens and strangers to the covenants. You see, wasn't an animal dying? It wasn't an animal dying to symbolize uh, the penalty. You see, when, when we looked at those animals cut in half that Abraham went into covenant with, and in covenants of the days gone by, people went through and they said, okay, if we break this covenant, this here represents the penalty of what will happen to us if we break the covenant. But what happened when Jesus died was this. He was paying the penalty for the unfaithfulness that he knew we had committed and would commit. He was taking upon himself all obligations to a covenant that we enter into by the same way Abraham did, by faith in him and by faith in what Jesus did. He enters into this covenant with us. Abraham wondered, how can I know? Will, how can I know? Will God bless me? How can I know? Will God protect me? How can I, how can I know? Will God provide for me a child? Will, he, will I make it into the lands? Will I get the offspring God's promise? Will I leave this legacy? How can I know? Ever wonder, how can I know? How can I know will I make it? Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, who did the work? He did. He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If God has started a work in you, has God started a work in you? Uh-huh. Was it God? Yeah. Okay, then. You don't need to worry about anything else. If he began a good work in you, he'll carry it on to completion. It's on his shoulders, folks. You just got to make sure that he's begun a good work in you. If he has, he will finish what he started. Done deal. How, will I, how can I know? Look at Jesus. How can I know? Will I have all the provision I need? Philippians 4.19 my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in, in Christ Jesus. It's all on him. How can I know? Can I be healed? Isaiah 53, 5. By his scourging, we're healed. How can I know? Will God bless me? Will he provide for me? Will he get me through? Will I make it? Thankfully, it's not about you and me. The Father delights to show you kindness. Here's a couple of verses just expressing the covenant heart of God. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, will he not with him also freely give us all things? Of course he will. Jeremiah 32, 40 to 41. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. You're never turning away from God. Even that is inspired by 
God. I will rejoice in doing them goods, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Listen to God. It's like a dad, isn't he? It's like, I know what I'm like with my son and my daughter. I often look them in the eyes and say, I love you so much. I would do everything for you. That's what God's like. With all my heart and soul. The passion of God expressed in a crucifixion to enter into covenant relationship and to be covenantally obliged to you. And if he isn't, then he'll be cut in half like animals. That's how committed God is to making sure you can know. Last week was a sad week for the film industry and for the world. Robin Williams passed away. I, I don't know I don't know exactly where he was at with God. I think he had some faith. I know when he talked about his time in rehab, he talked about how he he found God, felt God close to him as he was in rehab. He talked about that. But I watched one of his little skits. He did stand-up comedy sometimes. And in one of them, uh, ironically, he was talking about Jesus. And he said this. The next day, the miracle occurred. Crucifixion, resurrection. And he rose again from the dead. And if he sees his shadow, another 2,000 years of guilt... Ah, that's not what it's about, Robin Williams. You see, he'd obviously been affected greatly by religion. Because religion sees, okay, Jesus died on the cross and rose again, so there you go, have another 2,000 years of guilt. Man, that's, that's not what it's about. That's, that's not it. On the cross, he took eternity's worth of guilt upon himself. He took your guilt upon him. Yeah, of course we're guilty. That's not negotiable. But he took our guilt so that we could get... Freedom, justification. We could be declared righteous. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It's exactly what Jesus instigated on the night he was betrayed. A new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. How many glad about that? You know, it's the covenant that God's making. It's it's not going to be about external laws. He said, no, no, I'm going to write the laws in your heart. You see, we understand. We, get, we don't get right with God by obeying external laws. If you're going about your relationship with God like that, you're under a curse, the Bible says. If, if, if you are committing yourself to obeying the Jewish law, you are under a curse. Read, read Galatians. Read Romans. You'll see that. So should we obey the Ten Commandments? Sure. But not because you have to earn anything from God, that's offensive to him. You obey the Ten Commandments because you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And you get to. It's fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. You've been changed. God writes in your soul his ways. And you just love doing the will of God. Because you, you love him. And, and it says... It's not based on religion. It's based on relationship. This is not about, all right, we've got to earn this. No, no. All of us can know God from the least to the greatest. The least to the greatest. I don't, I don't know if you consider yourself the least to the greatest, but you can all know God. This is not for the elite. You are the elite. You can have a relationship with God. Just create space in your life. Enjoy it. Walk with Him. Your sins will be forgiven. I will remember their, I will forgive their sins and will remember their sins no more. God doesn't just forgive, He forgets. And that's the problem with often our human forgiveness, isn't it? Yeah, we'll forgive you. You've really forgiven, yeah? Yeah. But they remember. 
and they don't treat you the same. And I guess that's understandable. But that's not how God is. And that's good. God forgives and forgets. He hasn't come to rub it in, Robin Williams, make you feel guilty. He's come to rub it out. He's come to clear the debt, to clear your righteous. So how do we respond to God? Well, first of all, loyalty. Covenant's all about loyalty. First of all, loyalty to God. Hosea 6, 4, the prophet speaking from a broken heart of God and says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like dew which goes away early. You're in Leith here, and you see the har coming in off the east coast here, and there's the har, and you're kind of wondering, is the sun up there? But the har doesn't stay long. It just The wind comes along and just blows it away, and you see the sun coming through. That's what some people's loyalty is like when it comes to God. You know, yeah, you get all emotional about God and you, and you, give, him, you give him an emotional sort of commitment and you're, you're in there on a Sunday, but then kind of, you're kind of doing your thing on Tuesday and Wednesday. Or you did, the, you did the God thing a couple of months ago and you've really kind of just, you like the winds, you just, yeah. It's, you're ephemeral, you're not committed, you're not solid. God's saying, come on, comprehend the, the level of my loyalty to you. And come on, let's see a response. Respond. I'm, I'm appealing to you as brothers and sisters under this covenant. Let's be loyal to God. Let's be loyal no matter what. Our, we're living in a culture that isn't loyal. We're living in a culture that breaks covenant all the time, where people have multiple partners. We're living in an unloyal culture. But God's calling us to be loyal. In Iraq just now, there are some believers who are being, you know, with a sword at their neck, are being told to walk away from Jesus and become Muslim. And hundreds have said no. Because they believe in loyalty. They're saying, no, we're going to follow Jesus. Don't be like the mist. Who cares how fickle society is? Don't let society decide how you're going to be. You know, people jumping and diving in this relationship and that, hanging out with God no longer. No, no, loyalty. You might perceive, oh, well, God, you didn't answer my prayers like you wanted me to, like, like I wanted you to. You didn't do it according to my time scale. You're not playing according to my tune, God. Well, hey, it's not about you, right? And I've already said, you know, God's clear. He's committed to you in covenant 100%. But just, un- just like he's shown unconditional commitment to you, how about you show unconditional commitment towards him? And then third response, sorry, second response is loyalty for each other. Just skip ahead to second, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes to a church, and you see, this is the truth. We're not just in relationship with God, we're in covenant with each other. When Jesus told us to break bread, he says, you should do this together in remembrance of me. It's not something you do in isolation. You don't sit in your, your living room, you know, on your Todd, having a bit of communion. You know, you do this with others. Why? Because we are a covenant people in relationship with God. And that has to count for something. This relationship in this direction has this implication. This relationship here has an implication on this relationship here. If it doesn't, then this relationship isn't strong enough. This relationship with God affects how we interact with each other. It has to. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8, then verse 27 to 30. In the first place, Paul says, I hear that when you come together in the church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So he was a church in Corinth that was experiencing divisions and and schisms and people doing their thing and anti-each other and bickering and gossiping and backstabbing and unforgiveness and falling in and out of people. Do you know what? If there had been many churches in Corinth, do you know what they'd have done? Guess what? They'd have just gone to the other church in Corinth. Right? But they, they weren't other churches. They were just one church in Corinth. So they were just there. And therefore, they had an opportunity to grow and deal with it. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats and drinks the cup 
eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. I, th- I think it's linking to some of the divisions that were going on in, earlier in the chapter. We'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Anyone, everyone ought to examine himself before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, when he's saying falling asleep, it's not like falling asleep like some of you fall asleep in the service when the preacher's preaching. I'm talking about worse than that. If, if there could be worse, apart from Sean. Uh, well done for not falling asleep, mate. Let's hear for Sean not falling asleep today. Whew. I'm talking about people dying. Yeah. Let's hear for Sean who hasn't died yet. Yeah, yeah. First time it's ever happened in church in Edinburgh. <laughs> you know what? I think there was a church here that was falling in and out with each other, and they weren't loyal to each other. And as a result, they were under God's judgment because covenant's serious. And I believe in loyalty to church, I believe in loyalty to the people of God. Listen. You might get offended by someone in this church. In fact, I guarantee you, if you haven't been offended, it's just because you haven't been around long enough. You will get offended. Ernie will offend you, guaranteed. And then there's Doug at the front here. He's nuts. He's nuts. You'll be aff- and there's Sean as well. And, you, you know, you'll be offended at, at various points in various ways. It might be in a small group gathering. You know, they told you to shut up because you've been talking too much. And you're, oh, how could you say? Yeah, you deserved it. You, you, so, you know, you something happens and someone ignored you, someone didn't hear you cry for help, you went through something and no one phoned you, something will happen. Why? Because you're in a room full of people who are people. And like you, everyone in this room is a fallen person. So you're going to get offended at some point in this church. So prepare yourself for it and make a decision ahead of time. That doesn't change anything. I'm fed up, right? I'm fed up with uh, being in a city where there's lots of fantastic churches. That's a blessing and a curse. It's a total blessing. Thank God for great churches in the city. But here's the curse. Some of you have come from another church just because you didn't resolve the stuff there. It breeds immaturity in your life. And if, if you have come from another church because of that, then you ought to go back there and put it right. And then if you want to come back here, then you're welcome. But do it properly. Because God's leading, not because, oh yeah, the Lord's leading me. Ah, uh, no, no. You're just saying that. It's a guise. You're, just, you're making it sound spiritual, but actually you're in rebellion. You're just not dealing with your stuff. Resolve things. How will, you ever, how will we ever grow? Part of the way God transforms us is in community. Someone said, can you be a Christian without going to church? Yes, technically. Can you live the Christian life without going to church? No. Because part of what God does is he puts you in a fellowship of believers and that environment is what transforms you. So be loyal to church. Be loyal to your leaders and the elders in the church. We're not just an independent church. We're part of an apostolic network. Be loyal to Andrew Owen and to the thing we're part of. doesn't mean we don't love other things that are happening, but we also love what we're part of. Be loyal. Be loyal to God. Be loyal to each other. And the third and final response is what we're going to do just now. We're going to break bread. We're going to take an opportunity to take some bread, dip it in the grape juice, and say, thank you, Jesus, that you entered into a covenant with us. It's not like we went through this, me and Jesus, together. No, no. The king did this all by himself. Like Abraham, God went through the cut animals all by himself on the cross. Jesus did it all for us. All we get to do is respond and say thank you and put our faith in this Jesus into whose relationship we've entered. It's good news. So before we do this breaking bread thing, which we'll do in a moment, um, you've got to ask yourself, are you in covenant with God? I'm not asking you, if you have you behaved yourself? We're already established that we haven't. I'm asking, have you put your faith in God wholeheartedly? I don't mean in some, oh yeah, I believe in God. No, I mean, prop- you know what I mean. Properly put your faith in God. In Jesus who died for you and rose again. 
in this covenant that is established. As you're breaking bread, don't just think, oh yeah, I'm in covenant. Think, wow, God is that committed to me. He wants to bless me with all his heart and soul. If he wasn't willing to hold back Jesus, he's not holding back nothing from me. So as you're breaking bread, have all these things in your soul. Lord, thank you for the covenant you've established. Thank you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection. Lord, we give ourselves just now to be loyal to you. And we also in this moment give ourselves to be loyal to each other. And we thank you for this thing called church. In this moment, folks, if you're here today and you've never entered into a covenant with God, then this is your moment and opportunity to do that right now. And like Abraham, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. God's done it all for you. But like Abraham, there's one thing God asks of you. And it's this, that you put your faith in God. So if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I want to be in covenant with God for all eternity. Then all you need to do today, and it's a big one, but you need to now put your whole faith place your life in his hands so that's you today just pray that prayer this prayer after me just now let this be your response to him pray dear lord god thank you jesus for dying on the cross and rising again thank you for shedding your blood so that i could be forgiven and have a relationship with you god thank you for rising again and being alive right now be my god be my king be my Lord forever. I put my faith in you. Thank you for this new covenant in your blood.